0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball. Happy quarantine, everyone. I'm Kevin Flynn, alongside the mighty might of the midfield, Grail Hallett, and soccer journalist and the show's producer, Sam Griswold. Guys, today, what
1: are you over on Over the Ball, Sam? Yeah, I'll go first on this one. I'm really over all these articles and commentary about uh, these ghost games in Germany, calling them weird and surreal. Um, How's
0: that Scooby-Doo episode?
1: Well, first of all, they're not not new. They've happened before. We've seen these games before, and I don't see how anyone could be expecting them not to be weird in any way. So I just find it really lazy that people are, you know, writing endless stories about how, how strange and I think I think but it's, it's weird for the
0: non soccer person, Sam. But you and I know that you play. It's like a training session game or a, a highly, you know, touted scrimmage. Well,
1: I'm talking uh, you know, more about they're not. Yeah, just like the feeling of being in an empty stadium and like how it's it sort of I don't know, just like an odd feeling. I just think people are being a little lazy. I've seen enough of them. I'm over it. <laughs>
0: All right, over there. That's it. Sam's over it. Grail, what are you over?
2: I am over slogans. And let slogan. me give you a couple examples. Project Restart, Where, Project Restart the, which is the EPL slogan. Uh, Operation Warp Speed, which is the vaccine slogan it? in this country. Uh, that's the get the vaccine. Mission accomplished. We have all of them. But in, a, in, a, in any case, just do... Make, make America do great again. Know. Just do whatever you say you're going to do. We don't need a slogan. We don't need a slogan. It creates weird timelines, false expectations. And it's just a, somebody in the marketing department of the EPL got paid way too much. That to was your job. Yeah, you're project. a marketing guy. You're, you're come the one. With you... Project restart. Just figure out when you're going to restart the damn league. We don't need to have a name behind it, please.
0: Wow. And this, this is a marketing guy, folks, who's saying <laughs> that. And, and Grail, many people don't know this. He came up with the slogan, I like Ike. So uh, he's been around and he's been in the game for a long time. I so, was in
2: my late forties when
0: I came up with that. <laughs> so uh, what I'm over is this whole opening up the country. And the first thing they want to open up are bowling alleys. <laughs> Who the hell's bowling now? I, I Bowling alleys, tattoo parlors and yeah. nail salons. It's like, Come on. This is this is why you're screaming about opening up the country? You want to go bowling? Come on. So, you gotta yeah, get... let,
2: let, Let's think about bowling for a minute, Flinney. Your fingers are in the same holes of a bowling ball as 8 million other people, and you share shoes. So yes. that makes good sense. doesn't wow. make a lot of sense.
0: Well, they spray it, don't they, after you wear them? <laughs> yeah, but, but uh... still, come on. <laughs> and then tattoos. You can't wait till the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic is over to get a tattoo. And uh, and nails, how about a nail clipper and some nail polish? Stay home, everybody. Let's get over this thing and get out as soon as we can. All right. Today on Over the Ball, we're going to talk to Allison Foley. Allison, a great reputation, uh, this woman in the coaching circles. Um, She's the former longtime women's head coach at Boston College. Uh, She's recently stepped down, but she has written a book. It's her second book. This one's entitled The Elusive Full Ride Scholarship, An Insider's Guide. The book reveals... Advice that you need to maneuver through the athletic and recruiting um, sports scholarship process. Now I I tell you something, that's a, that's a book that is, uh, that is needed because people, parents and players, they're all clueless. All right. Over the ball. Over the ball is brought to you by soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com slash join and uh, sign up for their yearly membership. It's only $49 a year or $4 and 90 cents a month. And ticket IQ, the easiest and cheapest way to buy tickets. When the MLS opens back up, Ticket IQ will be there. Guys, so a little soccer started this uh, past week. It was nice to see a game, but as he said, uh, apparently Sam was stewing watching his television because it was a ghost game. Um, but a great matchup. Sam, you had a great point last week. You know, you have Gio Reyna, a uh, young kid, Claudia's son. Uh, he's, he's over there in, in Germany getting ready to play for Versia Dortmund. Uh, going up against Weston McKinney and for for shockey and and here it is gonna be a great matchup no coverage domestically here
1: yeah i I was pretty i was pretty upset about this i I mean first of all i I didn't care about watching the game in the empty stadium my my point is that it just you know i'm just tired of people commenting on what it's like um let's just watch the game i'm interested in what is actually happening on the field and you know how that's different maybe not how eerie it all is um But yeah, basically, uh, I was able to find one article um, sort of hyping this All-USA matchup in this game. Uh, It was on marca.com, which is the Spanish from Spain, main sports paper. Um, And it was in Spanish. So uh, I was basically out of luck. Um, It turns out that, you know, we didn't know this last week when we were recording, but both of these guys were supposed to start this game. It would have been Reina's first ever Bundesliga start um unfortunately he had to pull out with a uh injury in the warm-ups unspecified how uh, does that happen by the way as a 17 year old i've never,
2: I've never understood well but how they, somebody gets injured in a
1: warm-up well they haven't played in a long time the training's been weird i it it makes sense to me but um yeah i just i was kind of shocked you know this is the first meaningful big sporting event in the world in a really long time and you know i think a lot of people's opinion uh it was on fox fs1 i mean uh, yeah, but just just nothing. Um, and to build off this, uh, Dortmund are playing at Wolfsburg tomorrow, Saturday. Um, Reyna is a part of the squad, um, and they'll be going up against John Brooks, another American on Wolfsburg, if he gets in the game. Um, but, you know, needless to say, no press coverage there
2: either. So It's bare yeah. bones coverage, Sam. No doubt. When I was watching those games, it's like just plug and play. You know, it's like get the feed, get a couple commentators in a studio somewhere, do the game get through it i mean i well know. i can understand
1: that needing to be streamlined you know with everything yeah. right now but I, I mean someone who knows much more than i do about the bundesliga can sit down and write a story you know trying to get me excited for this
2: game no but no, I'm, so, but i'm saying just in, in other circumstances you could have had it you might have had a pregame, and they might have actually built that up a little bit in yeah terms yeah but, of but the, grail
0: to know. sam to sam's point i, I think you know, here we are waiting for live events to come back.
2: And this is yeah. the first
0: one to come back and there are two American players in it. And it just seems like if everybody's looking for content for real live content, I mean, they had guys, uh, you know, uh, what was that paddle ball? They were playing, you know, and they, they covered it on ESPN, you yeah. know, cause they, they used different balls. So they didn't infect each other with the coronavirus. I mean, here we have a game in a stadium, two, two, you know, great teams in the British League, two American kids playing. They should have covered it, man. So yeah. um, I would have loved to have seen it because I tell you, you know, being – watching training sessions sometimes, even inter-squad scrimmages with no crowds, there's no theatrics. I love to hear the communication on the field. The You can really get the, the level of, of intensity comes across because it's just guy, you know, mano-a-mano. Mano and and um, I, I would have loved it. But I guess – People really had different experiences.
2: Yeah, I mean, the way I saw it, Flynn, was kind of like, uh, and I'll be dating myself here, you know, MTV unplugged. You know, do you prefer to see Neil Young acoustically, or do you prefer to see Neil Young? electric and and to me that's kind of what the experience is it's like an acoustic experience versus an electric experience well which is, saying, not, which is your not, preference which is your no i'm not
1: see, saying that's it's great tar- i mean I'm, you I'm, see how much better that is than it's an eerie experience
2: i mean yeah that's great. Well, right. well, it's, yes, it, it, it's just very it's you know it's it, you don't have the crowd noise but in an odd way you have Better behavior from the players and the coaches because they're not kind of amped up by the crowd and doing silly things. So in a way, way you can actually um, appreciate the play a little bit more because you're not distracted by anything else other than you can hear the coach saying, hey, Sam, make sure you track back. I mean, you can actually hear the coaches calling Get the players.
0: Well, the for yeah. those of us who love the game and are purists, yeah. I mean, it's it's really fun to watch because that's what that's what turns us on about the game. I mean, knowing all those those little things that's what drives me crazy about going to a you know NYCFC or something and, and people are yelling out the dumbest, most inane things. Kick <laughs> the like, ball, you know, kick the ball, kick it forward, you know. Like <laughs> so, yeah. hey, I, I meant to tell you though, guys, because I didn't mention it uh, last week. I was watching an old game of uh, Man City and Manchester United. And Juan Mata went, you know who's a class act that guy totally he's a great player, but a class act, you know you know his behavior on the field, and he goes for a ball out of bounds, and Kyle Walker just drills it at him when he's out oh, of yeah. bounds and and you could see like and Kyle Walker kind of whooped it up with the fans a little bit, so he did that, but that's why I thought of this, but he, he was really kind of showing off for the fans, yeah and Juan Mata walked up to him was kind of like you know kind of what what are you doing and Walker kind of pushed him, and Mata just kind of you know shrugged a little bit was like wow and then about minutes later mana turned him on the top of the box and scored oh, and just and did perfect. nothing just and just jogged back to the center circle it was yeah. hysterical it was like you know karma came back but uh, i think you're right like people do act poorly because the crowds are there but uh, you know i like both it'd be nice yeah, it's nice to see I, the crowd it's nice i mean i miss
2: the crowd you know and the good thing is that they're they were re- really concerned about fans congregating outside of the stadiums And they didn't have that problem. They were, you know, they had a lot of extra police and stuff because they were worried about fans just showing up and, you know, milling around and they didn't. So that was good. So, you know, I think all things considered, it went well. And the fact that only one home team won one out of, I think, nine matches is interesting because it clearly shows you when you take the fans out of the equation, there's absolutely no home field advantage at all. I have a theory. I have a theory about that. Okay. Um, you know
0: first of all crowd gets you going. your home team crowd of course right? gets you fired up so if you don't have that that takes away one element the second element is you're at home you're traveling to your game you're i don't think your mind is on the game as much as when you guys travel together as a team you start to prepare together for a couple hours or wherever the hotel the night before you sort of in pregame and much earlier than you are and now then you don't have the hometown crowd so i think Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's my one theory.
2: Yeah, um, uh, one, one other some... thing, one other thing, Funny. everybody was on their best behavior in terms of the players, except Hertha Berlin's uh, Dedrick Boyata after the, uh, after the opening goal that was scored by uh, Hoffen, uh, against Hoffenheim, um, went over and, to me, looked like basically planted a kiss on the cheek of his teammate Marco Grulich, and, uh, and, and of course it caused an uproar cause you're supposed to basically no celebrations. And, uh, Boyata's explanation was he did, he was not kissing him. He was giving him tactical advice. <laughs> and all I can tell you is if that's the way you give a teammate tactical advice, something has changed a lot since I played.
0: I, I always loved the hug. I never liked like the kiss to tell you the <laughs> truth. So, this was uh, a
2: grab a guy by both cheeks and plant a kiss on his cheek. There was no tactical tactical advice being given, trust me.
0: Hysterical. Hey, Sam, so uh, (laughs) the German Federation and League Presidents, uh, they're talking about a salary cap
1: um, and tighter regulation moving forward on spending? Yeah, I was pretty into this. Um, Both the Federation and League Presidents have, you know, sort of come to the realization that the coronavirus pandemic has, you know, is going to mean some long-term changes for the game and that there are certain things that, you know, probably should have been changed uh, a while ago. Um, one of those being the, the potential of a salary cap, uh, as well as a reduction in transfer fees and agent fees, you know, paid intermediaries, et cetera. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm very curious about a, you know, Europe wide salary cap, obviously legally, it would be very, very hard to do. Um, you know, cause it would basically, you'd have to get everyone to buy into it and that could violate EU law. And, you know, it may, it may be a pipe dream and I may be idealistic to think it could happen. But um, I do think, uh, you know, the spotlight is really on the German league right now. Um, Obviously is the only league playing and, you know, it's a testament to both the health system in Germany and what they've been able to do that they're up and running again. But, you know, I do think there are a lot of good ideas that, you know, the German league can offer to the, uh, Is that
0: you? Did you you break a leg going into a 50, 50 (laughs) ball there, Sam? We got the ambulance coming. You know, that's interesting though, Sam, because it could violate EU law, but as the English leave, um, the EU. I don't know what the uh, effects are. So uh, that'll be a a complicated story. further. Probably. Yeah, keep an eye on it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, slogans, uh, EPL's project restart, as you mentioned, uh, <laughs> Grail.
2: Just, um Yeah. To which I say, either start or don't start. We don't need a slogan. So <laughs>
0: they uh, they're going to start in small groups, right? Perhaps.
2: Uh, yeah, you know, they're starting in small stuff. groups. They the unanimous vote to start in small groups. Uh, they're Throwing around a few dates for a restart: the 12th and 19th or the 26th. The 12th would be the soonest of June would be the soonest it could happen. Um, they still have to get to step two, which is contact training. But you still have a lot of players who are basically saying they're not comfortable going back. You have uh, three Wat uh, well three Watford players tested positive, and uh, yeah. Troy Troy Deeney, you know, basically made the statement: you know, I can't get a haircut until mid July. But you want me you know, going out on a corner kick and contending for a ball with 19 Oop. other players in a box. Houdini? Uh, Troy Dini. I'm kidding. Yes. Little, yeah, not who a joke. There you joke. go. Well, that Very took little. me a while. That took me a while. <laughs> and, uh, and and Lo Conte from uh, Chelsea has uh, expressed some reservations about coming back. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, and Danny
0: Rose. Danny Rose as well. Yeah, you, yeah, could, have, you could
2: have some real good players. And the club really has no recourse but to – honor their point of view because what else can you do um, i don't blame so, them you know
0: danny rose no. said you know we play in a game that we have to go back to our kids yeah. and our families and our wives it's really you know somewhat you know uh, kind of what we're going through in this country nobody quite knows so why well, take chances
2: and especially funny the players of color who are much more susceptible mm-hmm. just in that community uh COVID has ravaged the uh the black community and, and the, uh, you know, the Hispanic community, much more so than uh, Caucasian. And so they're very concerned, you know, and they're, they're the especially States. concerned. And, and I don't think that the EPL has really kind of addressed that uh, head on because it is it is a different level of concern for that for that group of players.
0: That sounds like a whole show we got there. So, yeah. uh, Man City <laughs> is also appealing their date for the Champions League ban, set for June eighth to tenth. Uh, they're facing a two year ban. So, what does that look like, guys? Man, I mean,
2: I—that th- means could... De Bruyne
0: leaves, right? Uh,
2: well, you know, the decision's actually going to—they—they they ser- they, they said the decision could take between one and three months after the after the hearing. Um, so, we'll we'll see. It has huge financial implications. For Man City, fortunately, they have a lot of money behind them, so I think that's the least of their concerns. But yeah, you're right. I think uh, if they got a two-year ban, Kevin De Bruyne could easily pack up and basically write his ticket to any other club in the world. All right.
0: We got, we got a lot to get to here, so let me get uh, ask you about this one guy, Indiana Vasilev. Uh, Sam, I guess a 19-year-old striker just signed a two-year deal with Aston Villa. What What yeah. is this uh, kid all about? Where is he from?
1: Checking in on American players abroad. Um, yeah, Indiana Vasilev, two-year extension with um, Aston Villa. He's been there uh, this season, made three substitute appearances so far for the club. Um, I hadn't heard of him, I'll be honest. Um, that, yeah. You know, also could be because I don't really watch the Premier League. But, um, yeah, let's hope they don't get relegated currently in second to last place. But, um, yeah, promising.
0: A lot of these young American guys come out of nowhere. Sergino Dest, uh, same thing, and you have some news on him?
1: Yeah. uh, Well, he didn't really come out of nowhere. He just came out of Holland or the Netherlands. Um, Yeah, he won the the club's Talent of the Year Award at Ajax, which is given annually to the team's best player. This was announced about a week ago. Um, He's also been getting some pretty heavy interest from big-time clubs. Um, Barcelona, Bayern, Tottenham have all been mentioned. Um, he's obviously only 19 years old and, uh, I don't know. I mean, this, this may come up as anti-American. I'm very glad he's decided to play for the U S but I do not understand why. Um, considering that, you know, he's born in the Netherlands, you know, lived there his whole life. You know, he's been on this Ajax team with guys like De Young, delik Lick, Vanderbeek. Um, I mean, this could be a really, really special Dutch generation, um, so I mean I'll take it obviously but I yeah yeah, I don't I don't I don't quite get it
0: well maybe we're getting evened up for uh, De Rossi there who was from Newark New Jersey and he went over to Rossi not De Rossi
1: Rossi how do you say it Sam no well Rossi not De Rossi like you said but Mm -hmm. Rossi
0: I was doing Italian De De (laughs) Rossi that
2: surprises me that Flitty that (laughs) butchered a foreign player's name I know go figure shocking go figure
0: so uh, MLS action um seven clubs still not cleared to start individual training due to shelter in place restrictions in their region here yeah and that might
2: have already changed flinty by last report yeah. just because those things are changing so quickly in terms of easing yeah. uh, opening up but uh, and then the all-star game canceled the uh, the other two cups the camp uh, campionones campiones excuse me Cup in the league. Ah, oh, it's not so easy, is it?
0: Be honest, really? the, Capionis the Capionis Capionis Capionis
2: cup. Be honest, a cup. But yes. yeah, um, so they basically just said wipe that slate clean and said let's focus on just trying to get the league games played. Good. So, Seltzer yeah. Place,
0: you can you play soccer down in Florida. Uh, keep them all in one place and uh, yeah. let them all go. Let them all go bowling at night and get tattoos. <laughs> It'll be uh, get there get and watch the
2: WWE. Right. Remember WWE wrestlers are essential workers down in florida as deemed by their governor don't forget that
0: oh i know well there's the take on that one um uh yop stam is that how you say the name i remember when he played right. for man you yeah
1: that Yap. sounds yop stam sounds close enough all right
0: i've taken so much crap from you two today about my <laughs> pronunciations um he's going to be coaching cincinnati i guess harks john harks was the original coach in cincinnati but this is a japs come in
1: yeah uh, um <laughs> Yeah. most recent yeah. <laughs> coaching experience uh, was with Feyenoord in the Netherlands. I uh, stepped down after 11 games this past season. wasn't going well. That's not too a good well. sign. They were in 12th place, and after he left, they went all the way up to third. So uh, I don't know what to expect from him as a coach. I remember him as a a good player, a really fierce, you know, imposing defender, uh, both yeah. at Man U and at Lazio. Um, and, you know, I am curious about the the sort of wave of young. European coaches, former players coming to the MLS to kind of cut their teeth. We have Henri, obviously Stam now. Um, you know, Patrick Vieira was here, Alessandro Nesta. So I do think it's kind of cool if the you know the MLS can sort of become the staging ground in a way for these coaches.
0: All right, guys, we got to get going. Get Allison on here, but to, real quickly, uh, Burhalter and his system. You have a little update on that, Graham Grail. Uh, I'm saying my um, own friend's name is wrong.
2: <laughs> you, can call, you can call me Grant. That's Graham. okay. <laughs> Graham, Grant, whatever. Uh, yeah, I was I was very encouraged to hear that uh, Coach Berhalter, um from a, just a practical standpoint, is willing to kind of deviate from the system uh, just to qualify, which I think the is system. wonderful wonderful to hear. But, of course, they've had so many injuries. I just think it's a really smart tact to take just because, again – He's, they've missed out on a lot of games that have been postponed and canceled. And he just, yeah. we just need to qualify. You got to qualify hooker. by hooker, by crook, qualify. right?
0: Exactly. So, yeah. and, and one thing I want to invite to uh, get Paul Gardner on here uh, on soccer America. He's been writing for them for a long time. Uh, you know, and i got to be honest, I've gone back and forth with, with uh, Paul's stuff, uh, but he knows the games, love the game. He's got a three part series on college soccer in soccer America. And it's really enlightening. Cause we've talked about it before on this show, uh, it's a big part of America and American culture. And I think if we're going to get to the next level, we need to start to shine that, that stone a little bit and, um, you know, help us with the national team and a world cup qualifying and everything else. It, uh, I think a lot of roads go through college soccer and the NCAA is to sort of drag their feet. So love to get, uh, go out and read that. And one of our sponsors, soccer America, Paul Gardner's article, Uh, Three part series on college soccer. All right. All right. We're going to take a break here on Over the Ball. We come back. Allison Foley, the former head coach at Boston College, she's written a new book called The Elusive Full Ride Scholarship, an insider's guide. Listening to Over the Ball, we'll be back after this. All right. Joining us now, and over the ball, she's the former longtime women's head coach at Boston College. She's written a new book, "The Elusive Full Ride Scholarship: An Insider's Guide." Uh, the book reveals uh, advice to maneuver the athletic uh, recruiting and sports scholarship process, which is pretty overwhelming for uh, for anybody. Uh, before we get to that, Allison, because the book came out, I guess May 18th. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Right. So, um, before we get to that, how? Has COVID changed? Because here you are—you've been a coach for so long, you know that whole process, what you what you go through, uh, an arduous process, really. But then on the other side, it's the the parents' process, trying to meet players, see who gets a scholarship. Uh, how has this whole COVID thing changed the recruiting process? You're gonna have to add another chapter to your book.
3: I know, I know. It's, <laughs> I, I probably do. Um, it. It's be honest, Kevin. It's it's really you know one thing is nobody has a recruiting advantage right now because. Every everything has stopped, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like you got an injury and the process is still still going. Everybody's in the same boat, so you know we we've really talked to prospective student athletes about how can we keep this process still going forward. And um, it's a great time to make a highlight tape. Um, It's also a really good time to utilize references, your coaches, and ask them to contact you know coaches. Uh, a lot of a lot of programs are doing virtual recruiting rooms where they'll have um, their captains or their the, the team on um, a Zoom, and you can call in and uh, join the Zoom and ask questions and learn more about the program. And quite frankly, coaches coaches are sitting around and and they're you know they're open open to getting on Zooms and getting to know people better. And you can right. you know if public speaking is a good thing for you, that's a great way to feel like you're on an unofficial visit with the coach.
0: Yeah, it might be a great way to figure out uh, the character of a person that you want to recruit a, a little better because you have maybe more time. You know, you're not on exactly. the road so much and it's not all about the playing, I guess. It's only one portion of it. Uh, well, one question just popped to mind. Uh, you know, I know the California school system just did away with SAT and ACT scores. How will that change the recruiting process? I mean, you know, uh, that that was really, as a coach, your hands are tied sometimes with, uh, you know, Boston College, a great institution like, you know, the, the one you were at. High SAT scores. Do you think that'll change things?
3: Yeah, I, I think it will. You know, there there are a lot of bright students out there um, that just aren't very good test takers, and um, it's been a roadblock. For you know, they can get so many tutors and in practice exams, um, but if that that's been a roadblock for a lot of a lot of student athletes that are really good students and study hard um, and don't do well in the standardized test, so I think that's gonna. Open a lot more doors for a lot more schools and opportunities for kids.
0: Well, I didn't test well or study that much, but, <laughs> but that was my combination. But you know, it's an interesting thing because uh, I went on on a scholarship to, to college and soccer scholarship. But I think what you try to impart on people is how rare it is. And I think you know, you talk about that in your book a little bit. Um, I meet parents who find out a level that I've played at, and they ask me how they can get their kid a scholarship, and I said it's just so rare. You know, you want your kids to enjoy playing, and so few kids go on to play at the next level. Uh, how do you manage parents' expectations?
3: Yeah, you know, there is a lot of, you know, misconceptions, I think, around scholarship money and the availability and the amount. And um, I think when somebody goes to college to play a sport, everyone thinks that individual is on a scholarship. Right. Um, so, we, you know, we try we, we try to, you know, depending on the sport, we try to talk numbers and percentages and, you know, and say, you know, with the millions of kids that are playing this sport, whatever particular sport it is, three percent might end up on some type of scholarship, and that might be partial. That could be books, right? Right. And um, so we ri- really try to, you know, let them know specifically what the numbers are and what what it looks like, and then we try to reframe this and um, try to have them think about other other thoughts of what their students should be looking looking for in in a college and in their experience and talk about the academic prestige the distance from home Um, is this a team that their son or daughter are going to develop at is this a coaching staff that's going to you know care and and support their child when they're away from home the way that they hope to so we really just try to talk about other priorities Mm -hmm. um you know other than like landing the most money you know in the the biggest scholarship
0: right it almost becomes like a parental competition as opposed to that the kid, you know, it's hysterical and I've noticed most of the people that I talked to, most of the parents never played, you know, they exactly. just, they just got this thing going. So, uh, Grail, you have a question for Allison?
2: Yeah. Hey Allison, uh, congrats on the book. Thanks Grail. Um, just putting aside COVID-19 for a second, which is not easy to do, but, but, uh, by the way, but, uh, in any case, just looking back over your amazing 21 year career at BC, how did things change in terms of the recruiting process? if you can just give kind of a a view of the stages in terms of what the experience was.
3: Right. Right. You know, it it certainly was a process that's um, got a lot more aggressive. I'd say probably about eight years ago, um, you saw, you saw a lot of early recruiting. So in, and I I was guilty of it too. Um, And you saw a lot of eighth graders start committing and you know, right before I left BC, I had two or three eighth graders committed and I, you know, having a daughter to go through this process and knowing kind of where they are, um, psychologically and, and just their maturation and their ability to make such a big decision at, at the age of 14, I started just questioning it. And, um, and I'd really say that started around eighth grade, uh, about, about eight years ago that in mm-hmm. certain sports, the lacrosse is, the soccer is, the ice hockey's. Um, yep. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I don't think
0: you reach puberty by eighth grade, for God's sakes, and you already have a, a soccer scholarship, you know, somewhere at college. And right. the other thing is, my big question when I see that happen is, at least my high school experience and the club experience, people develop so late. You know, exactly. you're really developing as a junior and senior. And I think sometimes the motivation of having a scholarship eighth grade freshman year kind of deflates your uh, ambition. Your drive.
3: It can. It can. So it, it deflates ambition, and and and, um, and it also. Kids are changing. Kids are changing so much that um, you know some of them. In eighth grade, a lot of kids think they want to stay stay close to home, and um, or they don't even know what they want to major in. As a junior, they might start having a little bit more courage to move further away from home, and. Um, might, might start under thinking that engineering is what I want to do, and they already committed to a school that doesn't have an engineering program. So, you know, I think the good to go back to Grills' question. I think the good news is, um, last April, uh, two years, two Aprils ago now, uh, there was a new legislation put in place, um, and in Division One schools, for the majority of Division One schools. Uh, you can't communicate until June 15th post-sophomore year prior to your junior year. So that's emails, um, on the phone, texting. So and, and you can't take an unofficial visit to Division I schools for the majority of sports until August 1st uh, prior to your junior year. So I think that was um, excellent legislation to, to put in to sort of slow down this, this early recruiting process because with hand-in-hand hand with that, transfer rates were higher. So mm-hmm. I think we're at a better right. place now.
0: Imagine that you think an eighth grade freshman year going to a college, you know, not know what you want. So Grail, you had a follow-up?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious on that point, Allison. Um as as Kevin was saying, there there's such a change between eighth grade and twelfth grade in terms of just how a person matures or doesn't mature. And I'm just curious if you had any situations where you had to kind of reverse decisions because the person that you met as an eighth grader became a very different person by the time she reached you know you know the time when she was like we're going to be heading off to bc i mean did, did that create any problems with with people that you thought might have fit in chemistry wise but then ended up not
3: yeah we we had to have one conversation okay. and and say we don't we don't think this is going to work out um it really wasn't a character issue. Um, It was a little bit started taking the foot off the pedal training wise, but the bigger issue took their foot off the academic pedal big time. And Mm -hmm. we we had said, you know, this is what this is going to need to look like. You have to stay on track with, you know, these are the courses. We're going to be in agreement. You know, this is a verbal commitment with, with a clause of what we expect you you to do. And also there was some SAT, um, Scores that she hadn't even taken the SATs yet, but we had, you know, we had a range in where she had to get into, and that didn't work out either. So, Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, we did have to part ways.
0: Okay.
1: Interesting. Sam? Yeah. um, Allison, speaking about potential and trying to identify it in young players, um, I'm wondering if you feel there's a big difference between women's college soccer and men's college soccer, and that. You know women's college soccer is maybe more about developing as you know most of the women that play, probably all the women that play on the u s national team came through college soccer, where the men's game is more of a a destination uh, and less about improving and getting better,
3: yeah, I think there's I think there's something to be said about that. Um, i I think that when girls look at it, the you know the culture and the community and Um, is this coach going to, you know, be there when I go? Um, Am I going to develop? Is this the atmosphere I want to be in? Where, you know, if it's a bright lights, big city, and it's a a really great school, I think those intangibles for a guy can be forgotten. And they'll just, you know, go for, this is the name, you know, this is the school, this is the conference I want to be in. This team stayed in the top 10, top 20 for the last, few years so this is this is where I want to make my career
0: you know we have a uh, one of our buddies is the head coach of Clemson Mike Noonan and he always oh. talks about a lot of times the kids come in with d1 goggles uh they they just want to play d1 and they don't really like some of the things you're talking about uh ge- geographically you know is it the right major for you is it close can your parents can see the game is the right fit the right coach uh, and all that can go off or not. Um, so we talk about the difference between men and women players. We we had Tom Cermani on here uh, a couple of years ago now, but talking. I said, "What's the big difference between men and and women?" You know, because he's coached both. He said, "Well, the women don't flop."
3: Because
0: <laughs> <It's, it's, laughs> uh, the guys all flop. Have you you probably coached men as well? Have you uh, seen a difference? Do you approach it differently?
3: Well, you you know, it's really funny. I I don't, I I don't really approach it differently in terms of a training session or Mm. expectations of, of a drill technically. Um, I do think the motivation is uh, different. You can get, women will get, and girls will get more motivated. You know, they, they need, they need affirmation. They need, you know, positive feedback. They need to be like, that was good. That's, that's the term we're looking for. And they'll grow within the training session. Um, Boys don't need that as much, you know. They already think they're doing really well, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the training's the same. And the other thing, and I just said this. I, I, I had a few girls out yesterday, and I had a group of boys before them. And you know, when, when girls mess up, it's my bad. I'm sorry. You know, oh, and then and then they'll say, "Well, that's okay. Don't worry about it." Guys are like, "What are you doing? Play to my right yeah, yeah. foot," you know? <laughs> so, yeah, they're on it. Yeah, it's somebody else's so, fault.
0: Yeah. So the, uh,
3: those things are different but i think in terms of what they can you know take physically and tactically and technically it's th- that's all the same you know the actual curriculum's the same
0: right and just the the difference you know i played at the university of massachusetts and uh, you know the only thing i'm saying with what's going on in in world soccer a little bit or domestically the national teams you know, when I was at UMass, the men's and the women's teams, we were just we were just buddies. We were in this this yeah. game together. And mm-hmm. one of the sad things we were talking about last week on the show was the the U.S. Women's National Team and the case that's going on. I just think it it, uh, it harms soccer, um, unfortunately, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of it, it's great for women. It's great for the world. Think about what the U.S. Women's National Team has done for women of the world, really. I right. mean, huge global implications. They're, they're really there. Yet I think sadly, domestically, it's a bummer because soccer seems like a little bit at an ebb right now. I know. Uh, and, and it's kind of a bummer because look, 21 years you, you were at BC, you saw the rise. You saw it every year. We were getting oh, better stronger.
3: Um, absolutely.
0: So uh, what is the difference in the players that you see today as opposed to the ones that you had 21 years ago?
3: Yeah. You know, uh, first and foremost, when you, when you were
0: 11, when you
3: first. about So, so, uh, you know, one of the things is just, I think the commitment to fitness is completely different. You know, the, the athleticism of players these days, um, strength and conditioning, there's, you know, back when I started a couple decades, decades ago, some of the first weights they ever lifted was when they hit college Now you see, you know, girls on like pretty very disciplined strength and conditioning programs, eighth grade, ninth grade. So, so they know a lot of that. So, um, when done correctly, that certainly is producing better athletes. Um, you know, these days, um, there's a lot more attention to technical detail. Um, the use of video, you know, now clubs are using video, they're, you know, they're, they're breaking down, you know, doing, doing, match analysis with their teams. So, um, they're tactically reading the game a little bit better and, um, they're training more, right? So the better t- technically.
0: I just tell a story, talking to Brian McBride on this program, uh, a few years ago, I said something about in the pros, after a game, having a beer, and he goes, A beer? How old are you? And I'm like, Why? He goes, Nobody <laughs> drinks beer now. I go, Nobody drinks beer after a game. What do they drink? He goes, A, a drink that was specifically designed for your body. I'm like, Oh my God, things have changed. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We take, I think it's really good. So the they're cover, taking the care of themselves. The drink
3: of today is different. Yep, yep. That uh, the right, cops absolutely that was... a very different way these days at <laughs> post game.
2: <laughs> All right, Grail yeah, Allison, one one of the things I've noticed about players, you were talking about just the technical ability, which is kind of off the charts. But you know, having I played in NESCAC at Middlebury and go back and watch games uh, a couple games a season. And uh, the one thing I don't see that kind of existed when when we all played was playmakers. Yeah. Everybody's very, everybody's technically, very skilled. They're bigger they're faster, they're, I guess you could say they're stronger, Mm -hmm. but you just don't, again, maybe this is the old, the grumpy old guy complaining about the way things used to be, but you don't see as many of that because I don't think kids are allowed to play kind of just naturally because they are so coached. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, how you see that?
3: I, you know, I think that, I I think that's a really great point, I I think there is a little bit less um, creativity, you know, in today's game. Because sometimes we do overcoach, and I think this is at any levels. You know, now now every U ten kid knows where the six plays on the field, knows what the role of the eight is, and knows that the role of the ten. So we're defining. You know, at that age, I, I played center midfield, kind of did what I wanted. Right. To, like, exactly. right, right, football, right. Right. Yeah. You know, and and now I I, 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 I,
0: cou- I couldn't even count to ten, so it was.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so I think that has a, a lot to do with it we where, you know, there, there is a little bit of overcoaching going on right now, um, really defining roles. And so, um, you know, players are starting to think like, is that part of the job description of the position I'm playing as, apo- as opposed, to I'm out here playing soccer.
2: Yeah. And you, you almost get the sense sometimes watching these kids that they're playing within like, you know, a 12 by eight space, because that's what they've been told to do. Exactly. They're, they're afraid to move anywhere on the pitch. And I think it just, it takes away from some of the creativity.
3: I, I would agree with that. I would 100% agree with that.
2: Um, Alison, I have a question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, no, good. I just have a question about
1: um, the international game and the development of you know women's soccer there. Um, I've been really impressed the last couple of World Cups watching the European teams um, mm-hmm. um, seem to have come a really long way. Um, and I'm wondering if you're seeing an uptick in European women trying to come play college soccer here in
3: the US now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think sam there there was it really hit about eight years ago. there was a big international influence and um because they still hadn't been as established as they've been the last five years. I mean you look at Spain, you look at France, and you look how they're modeling you know they're modeling over there now um they're men they're they're men's professional teams right and it's starting at the youth level recently, so we were clearly better a decade ago, and it made a lot of sense for the top players, international players, to leave their club, come to the top colleges here, and develop, and and not only get an education, but also find a more competitive um, playing environment. It's not the case now, and so I think the last few years, people are staying home, Um, you know, even talking to like national team coaches, Um, you know, a a decade ago, they'd be like, no, we want her to go. We want her to go play for you. We know she's going to, it's going to be the right environment. She'll get better. It's year round the whole bit. We don't have a, we don't have a system like that set up, but now they do. England has a system set up like that. France has a system like that set up Um, as do other countries. So they're, they're staying home more now that now they're staying home and and they can, and they can make a really good living ultimately making that, you know, the full team and playing professionally over there, which wasn't the case even five years ago. That wasn't necessarily the case.
0: Interesting. So let's get back to your book. You know, after coaching for 21 years, all the experience that you've had, all the changes that you've seen uh, happen, and the experiences, the things that I'm going through right now with people asking me questions, this this is a great uh, idea for a book. So you had this idea. How did it come to fruition? I mean, how long did it take you to put it together? And you had to yeah. go through 21 years of files and recruiting yeah. stories and
3: um you know no so so it's it, it's it's my second book and it's um I, both times i did it with um mia Wenjin, who's my co-author and she really urged both books you know and she just felt like the first one was how to coach girls and um she used to come to me, she, her daughters were friends with my daughter. And when they were younger, you know, if there was any, ever an issue on the team, she's like, Oh, the coach is doing this right now. Oh, the carpool's not working out. Oh, so-and-so's bullying so-and-so on the team. So I would just say, oh, well, maybe you need to work on this, or maybe you can take a look at this. So one day she said, you know, let's, let's, you got to write a book about this. Like this is really good stuff. So that's how the first one happened. And um, I think specifically when, when she gave me a stat that 70% of the kids were quitting um, organized sport by the age of 13 and girls were at six times the rate of boys. That was pretty alarming. So I thought like, yeah. if I have something to help people out, let, let's give it a go. And then the, the second one sort of coincided with my business, um, fully athletic advising. And she said, you know, you should put this information in a book. And, um, so pretty much the same idea. I said, okay. And so she, she did, a she did a lot of the, uh, Editing, grammatical, and you know all of that, which she's really good at. Um, she is an author now. That's what she does: is write books. And so we just kind of collaborated and came up with this book. And um, what was really, what I think makes it really special is a lot of athletes um, gave their contributions in their experiences in the book, and a lot of coaches did too. Division one, two, three. Football, basketball, women's basketball, lacrosse—you know, there's there's all different um, coaches that speak about and give really, really good advice. And there's a lot of um, student athletes in there too that do the do the same.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's not a it's not for women's soccer scholarships. It's for the entire process that a parent has to sort of navigate. Yeah, difficulty and, and and the student and I think sometimes, especially the players, they tend to listen to former players. You know, yes. to, to You know, and and uh, guys and women who have gone to a high level. Uh, Grail, did you have a question?
2: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the recruitment kit that you reference in the book in terms of what what uh, what's entailed in that?
3: Yeah. So basically, basically we give um, examples in and how to do, how to do your highlight tape, exactly what you need to do to have your highlight tape from start to finish. Um, what then there's an introductory introductory letter how to introduce yourself Um, a a pre-tournament letter what that needs to have inside in in it a post-tournament letter um, what to do on your unofficial visit questions to ask on your unofficial visit how to get an unofficial visit so it's really like a step-by-step you know manual kit We, we called it kit just you know um, it probably could have been called a few different things. No, we're
0: soccer people. We're soccer people. Exactly. I'm exactly. I, you
3: know,
2: I'm a kid, so. I mean, I remember back in the Jurassic period when I played, I would get a typed letter from the coach, yep. from the college coach, saying that he had interest. And then if, if he was in the area, he came by the house. Right. And you had a conversation. And, that, <laughs> and then you wrote a follow-up note. And that was pretty much it. Then it was like, I think you either, maybe if he, he was interested, he'd follow up with another letter or a phone call if he could reach it. But yeah, I mean, my goodness. Yeah. How, how the world has changed.
3: And it has changed. And, you know, with social media, you know, there's so much now more that kids can learn on social media and um, following programs on Twitter, following, you know, following their Instagram. And uh, it's, it's changed. I mean, it, it's, it, it's gotten a little bit more complicated. Yeah, can, can it to- actually, can
2: it, I'm sorry, Flanny, just quick follow, can it actually be too much sometimes? I mean, are you actually put off sometimes by somebody who comes at you with like a Steven Spielberg production? Or, I mean, it just seems like it could actually work against you if it's so over the top.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, part of it is making sure you have the right information, you know, in, in any of your social media, and any of your highlight, you know, too much you know nobody really cares what you did you know at U ten or you know you know in this yeah. nobody wants your report card from elementary school right so right. Um, thank god thank god right We <laughs> do need to streamline it and and make sure it, you know it, it 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 has the right information um but not too much information mm-hmm.
0: well good stuff well this is this is all good tell us how we can get the book is it on amazon is it out uh, how can we order it it
3: is it is on amazon and um our our um, publishers audreypress.com, and you can get it directly from from that as well.
0: All right. The name of the book is The Elusive Full Ride Scholarship and Insider's Guide. Uh, Alison Foley, longtime coach, uh, thank you for opening up that brain of yours and all that knowledge for all those years of coaching. And like the, the best coaches are are, are psychiatrists. They're, they're, you know, they're everything. They're everything yeah. just rolled into one and, and all that experience laid out in a book. And I love this whole kit idea because to give someone the step-by-step process, I, you know, I think alluding to what you said, Grail, about the the social media stuff at least people know that they're doing the right thing they're not not getting screwed over in some way or forgetting something or missing a step so uh so this book helps them so alice it was great to talk to you please uh, come back and talk to us again on over the ball
3: thanks kevin thanks for having me grill and sam nice meeting you guys take good thanks. care awesome.
0: Well, it was nice to talk to Allison. Do uh, you know that that's something anybody could use? Like I said to her, you know, um, here all of us have gone through the college experience and playing soccer in college, and yet you, you kind of enter it somewhat blind and clueless. I think a book like that, uh, really useful. So uh, yeah, yeah it, it, nice
2: you, you, just, uh, you just kind of compare it to what we went through as recruits all those decades ago and just what a different world it is. Just right. So much I think more that was the big thing. Yeah, yeah curious
0: 21 to, years, all the changes she saw. Go yeah, ahead, she
1: was, I'm just curious, she was talking about, you know, the European women sort of starting to stay home more and play for their clubs uh, in their own countries, and I'm I'm wondering if, you know, we don't start to see the trend the other way, where, you know, young oh. American women are heading over at, you know, 18, 19, instead of going I think to you're, I think
0: we're going to see that, Sam, because the infrastructure over there is built, and there's a connection between the big club, usually a men's club, Arsenal, yeah. Liverpool, you know, and, and all these clubs that you know, they have all the facilities. They have it running like a Swiss watch, and then all of a sudden, you just incorporate the women into it mm. in the same program. Here build. We're still going through our Lincoln logs, you know, trying to figure out how to build an infrastructure. So, but al- but also funny, one thing that I thought,
2: I'm I'm sorry, just ahead. the thing about the national team, women's national teams, that I think is kind yeah. of interesting is I really get the sense that the uh, the women's national teams, like let's say England are almost kind of adopting a similar style of the men's team. And it's very, there's a lot of cohesion, whereas yeah. over here, and by the way, no complaints, because our women's national team is so successful, but there there really is no connection, because the women's has really kind of outperformed the men's, so they yeah. have their own style, and then the men's have their own. But I just find it kind of interesting that when I watched watch kind of the uh, Netherlands women's team, or this spain's women's team they actually have some similarities to their men's counterpart
1: i think that has a lot to do with what you're saying is how you know the clubs they have a men's team they just add a women's team and they yeah. keep rolling the same apparatus like w- between the men's and the women's here there's just there's no comparison right i mean all the women on the national team came up played college soccer you know where the men are you know half of them are born abroad. I mean, almost none of them play college yeah, soccer. You know, there's just like, yeah. there's not a clear path. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just completely so different. There's, and there's yeah. no, uh,
0: there, it's fractured too, the, the yeah. connection between the men's and the women's game here. Um, you know, it's apples and oranges, where they're, they're just, they're going with oranges in, in the same place. Here, This is what I thought was interesting, guys, because, you know, uh, a lot of the viewer mail is always on me about the US Women's National Team. But here's an interesting little um, r- wrinkle uh, Lydia Walke became the latest casualty of U.S. soccer's controversial defense of the gender discrimination suit filed by members of the U.S. women's national team. Walke uh, resigned as the Federation's chief legal officer two months after she was placed on administrative leave. Um, they, they were the, she was the one who checked off on the filing uh, on March 9th, arguing that players on the women's team didn't have the physical abilities or the same responsibilities as players on the men's team they received immediate backlash. So I just thought it was interesting that it was a woman that actually made that argument or checked off on it at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And well, here, by did- the way, right now, a lot of people don't know this, the women's national team are, are being paid right now. They're still being paid because they have guaranteed contracts, so they don't have to pay to play. So, yeah. um, uh, so that's, that, that does that surprise you guys?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, she did the filing and stuff. I, I think though, that, the, that philosophy just existed within the organization And she, she, she was the head legal person who put the philosophy forward in her role. Um, You know, so, but there is irony in that, of course, because it's so counter to what everything women's soccer stands for.
0: Right. Well, you know, lawyers though, too, they just want to win. So they're just putting whatever they think can, uh, can do it.
1: All right, boys, what do you got on
0: tap for the weekend? What are we going to do? Uh, yeah, Stay couple- inside and cook.
1: Yeah. Well, as I <laughs> mentioned at the top of the show, uh, tomorrow morning, Saturday at 9.30, FS1, Wolfsburg, Dortmund. Wolfsburg in sixth place, Dortmund up in second. Uh, yeah. yeah, which um, should be good, Reina versus John Brooks. Um, but the big match coming up is on Tuesday, actually, in the Bundesliga, and that's Dortmund against Bayern, 12.30, also on FS1. Basically, Dortmund's last chance to uh, you know cut the gap, which is four points at the top of the table. Um, and this is also a potential North American derby between Gio Reyna and Alfonso Davies, who's been having a fantastic season yeah. at Bayern. So if anyone who knows more about the Bundesliga than I do wants to write an article about that, I would happily read it. Alfonso Davis, man, took on the
0: United States men's national team. He was like a man among boys oh that God. night. Do you remember that game
2: up in uh, Toronto?
0: He was oh, just well, I also remember low and by people.
2: I also remember him in the first leg of the Champions League against Chelsea, uh, going down that left flank, and the guy was just lights out. Phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And skill and speed. So, yeah. All right. So there's not many games on this weekend. So I, I'm going to take what Sam's picked. <laughs> Same. No, I mean, I'm,
2: I I just basically watch Bayern and Dortmund is what I do. I, those are the two clubs. They're they're vying for the the trophy and they've got the best. I mean, not that there aren't other good teams, but they got the best players. So.
0: All right. Great, guys. Well, That's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our guest, Allison Foley. Uh, and her new book, The Elusive Full Ride Scholarship, an insider's guide. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Soccer America and Ticket IQ. I'm Kevin Flynn, Sam Griswold, Grail Hallett. We'll talk to you next time. On Over the Ball.